Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. especially this week. We're moving in. It's Sunday after Easter, and it's good to see all of you in the house. And uh, as we, we had over 500 people, almost 550 people here this past Sunday. And uh, it was just so incredible. From, Saturday, from Friday night, Saturday to Sunday, just an incredible week. Uh, as we saw a lot of people uh, get touched and changed over the over the weekend. So thank you all, especially our serve teams. Thank you for being a part of the house and helping us to make all of that successful. That means a lot. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms 27. Psalms 27. I had uh, over about, I don't know, a month and a half ago, um, there was a book that I got my hands on. Someone brought me in. And it really put into language everything that I feel personally in my journey with the Lord. And, and nobody told me when I started this thing off. I guess they, they had. I just didn't fully understand what it meant until you walk through it. Because that's really learned wisdom. But that what you're in, your journey with the Lord, it is a journey. It's, you haven't arrived yet. God is constantly perfecting and maturing you, or at least he ought to be maturing you. There is a process in us that the Holy Spirit is working, that God is doing, and it's called sanctification. Sanctification is I'm not perfect as soon as I get saved. There is a process that God is leading me into. But to really, back in February of 2010, whenever personally for myself I had, I would, I would call it a life-defining moment. It was a defining moment in, my, in the presence of God where I, I was radically changed group in church my whole life but it was that encounter there was a power encounter because how many of you understand understand that power comes in the encounter and authority comes in the commission and God I encountered the presence of God and it completely reoriented my lifestyle everything that I did was centered around presence and throughout my journey because it's a process there was certain aspects of discovering God that I found that he was not only was he uh, a friend, but he was a father. And learning those different dimensions of who God is, because he's multifaceted, we were human, we're finite, so we look at God and we see, you have your own picture of who he is. But it's a journey to discovery. And I believe that in a million years, that when we're in eternity, that we're worshiping around the throne of God, that we're still gonna be looking at him and saying, look how beautiful he is. Look how awesome, I've never seen this before. Because he's so infinite, we're finite. God is so beautiful and he's so awesome. So in the scripture, David said, the only thing that I can find is goodness. Good, he's so good, he's so good because he'd encountered something. And that was something about seeing God in such a way that Job said, even though he slays me, yet I will still serve him because there's an encounter that has to take place. If you view God from the lens of legalism and not out of love, you'll always fall short of knowing who he is. You have to see him through intimacy. And I know for some of y'all, you probably never heard that in church before, but this thing is not a profession. What do we call people that are intimate for profession? I don't know if I should go there on a Sunday morning. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. We're not intimate for professions. We're intimate because we're sons and daughters. We're kingdom. We're citizens of another country. And so 
as I began to read this book, it started putting language into my heart of what who God is. And I'm like, yes, yes. One thing have I done, yes. That's my heart. I, I'm, not, I'm not an intelligent guy. Don't have to be the most intelligent. I gotta be the most available. So God, make me available. God's looking for available people. Listen, if your heart's hard, if you feel like you've slid into a place of where you feel cold and distant, it's not, a, it's not his problem. It's a problem with you. If I could just step up on the t- just a little bit on the intro, I promise I'm not gonna stomp on it. So it's, it's, it's not on him, it's on me. Because there is no chasm between he and I except that the, war, the ones that I build myself, I build the walls between he and I. There is no wall. There's nothing he can't break through, but it has to be an open heart. It has to be a tender heart. So let your heart become tender. So, but what I wanna talk to you about for a little bit is the journey of beholding. The journey of beholding. Beholding what? The face of God. The face of God. Old Testament, anytime you see face, Interchange it with presence. The journey of beholding the presence. Making that being the central focus. The children of Israel camped around presence. They didn't camp around Moses. It wasn't a man. It was presence. Moses was the leader God chose. Just as David was the leader God chose. They followed him. They followed them. Beholding is this. Seeing or observing a person or a thing. Especially, listen to this. A remarkable or an impressive one. Especially remarkable or impressive. Does God impress you? Truly. Not the religious answer on a Sunday morning. Oh, yes, bless God. Right? No. Does he really capture my attention? When I read scripture, do I begin to weep and see goodness throughout the word of God? Do I see Jesus in every story that's depicted throughout scripture? Because you understand it's Christ-centered. It's Christocentric. Everything about this is focused on redemption and who Christ is. If you don't catch anything else in this morning when I'm talking to you, get this phrase. You become what you behold. If you behold a job for 70 something hours a week and monetary money, materialistic things are your focus, you're gonna become that. That's what you worship. Or as my favorite general in the faith, Pastor Bill says, you become like the one you worship. Doesn't matter what that is, that's what you become. But do you, What is it that you focus your time, energy, your money, your focus? Where does it go? What are you beholding? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder is what they say. But Psalms 27, 4, I want to read this and then we'll move on. It says this. This is King David. This this is not a one-time thing for David. And if you read anything about David, what you understand is that we all identify with him because he's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. You've heard me say that before. And, and one of my favorite, it's not really my favorites, but I guess it's really crazy because the Bible is full of like incredible stuff that we only want to draw out certain aspects. But David could play a harp and run demons out the room. But on the other side, there was a sword that he could pull out and slit your throat in a moment's time and not have a concern about it. You read scripture, that's who he is. I mean, he is a, his Gaborim, his mighty men, incredible. Ragtag group of men that could stand on one spot and slay hundreds of people and the sword gets stuck to their hand. I mean, you're talking about a mighty leader that loved presence, very passionate, messed up morally in more way, adultery, rape, murder. But we identify with David because we see, and all throughout scripture, none of them are perfect, But David's life, there was something about David, and I'm gonna get ahead of myself a little bit, that he reaches 
on, the, on this side, it's like he reached through the cross where we're at and he pulled something meant for our day and pulls it through the cross back into the old covenant that was not supposed to happen in his day. Are you with me? You understand? I'll talk about that in a moment. It is grace, but it's a little bit more than that. David was a man of intimacy, extraordinary intimacy with God the Father. And so in this section of scripture, one thing I have asked of the Lord and that, that this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze or behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him or to inquire him in his temple. I was thinking about the whole process of the journey that I'm on, and it's really called a discipleship process. And a disciple is a disciplined learner. It's someone that truly, if you look into the old or the, the New Testament church, when Jesus came and he pulled his disciples, they he was teaching them patterns and rhythms to do in their life that would bring them into uh, uh, a greater experiences with God the Father in the presence and all of those things. So they're disciplined learners. They're, they're, they come close and walk alongside of and, and we back a few years ago, all the staff, we were discussing discipleship and, you know, naturally you want to go to education and classes and all those things. But honestly, when you, when you look at this, I was just thinking, cause I've always struggled like how, and if we want to do that, it's fine. But one of the things that for me, that, that I understood discipleship in my personal life was an encounter. It, I had an encounter with the Lord and it completely, I reoriented my whole life and changed everything, Levi, to, to accommodate presence, literally to become a host. How do I host this, God? Um, Pastor Bill put the words into it. How do I host your presence? Because I can. Do I, do I take every step with the dove in mind on my shoulder, understanding that the presence of God is David said, don't take your presence from me after he failed. I don't care how I am with the people. How am I with you, God? That's King David. It's a heart that desired presence. And, and I was thinking about discipleship. And here's the thing that I've learned here on this Sunday morning down south is that I can't make anybody be discipled. Nobody, you cannot make anybody in this room be discipled. Even a court order can't make somebody be discipled. It doesn't matter. But on the flip side of that, so that just freed some of you because you can't save anybody. All you can do is offer help and hope. That's it. You're not their Messiah, right? So somebody just take it. Oh, thank God, I ain't gonna worry about that. But on the flip side of that, you can't stop someone from being a disciple. You can't stop them from coming into the church and praying. You can't stop them because there's something that's happened. And that's because you have encountered the face of God, the presence of God, the joy of the, of the Lord. And all, it's just, some of us, we have, we have an Old Testament relationship with the Lord. And let me explain. Because all you see now, if you look into the stories whenever stuff was happening, you can still see the goodness of God. But all we, we're stuck in the garden where we fail. If you were to write your life and to say, I identify with this book in the Bible, what would that be? I know that's crazy. I'm just asking. Are you Old Testament? Oh, God's harsh. He's a taskmaster. He never does anything good. Come on, think about it. Where are you in the lines of scripture? Are you living in New Testament theology? Or are you living in Old Covenant mindset that Jesus has already come. He has offered freedom and joy, but where, where, where is it that we reside? Sorry, just a side note. I can't make anybody be disciple, but you can't stop anybody from being disciple as well. 
Discipleship and this journey that we're on is not an impersonation. This is not my quote, but I'll give it to you. Discipleship is not an impersonation of who God is. It's not reflecting him in so many different dimensions. It is the process of becoming like him. That's sanctification. Egypt was removed from you, but the problem is is that many of us, we are still walking out the process, or excuse me, we were taken out of bondage and out of slavery and out of Egypt, but the process is, is that Egypt is still in many of us. And you gotta keep moving and moving forward. God created you to be dynamic, not static. Do you understand that? Static is still not moving. There is no momentum. If that be the case, then scripture would stop right after Adam and Eve's sin. But the scripture said there was a solution for sin and that there would be a one that was gonna come and crush the head of Satan, but he would bruise his heel. And we're, I'm thankful that scripture is progressive just as the human life is progressive. You're called to be progressive in your relationship, dynamic, you're not static. You with me? That's why pr prophets, when they prophesied, it produced movement, prophetic moves. We're moving somewhere. We're not so much a human being as we are a human becoming. We're becoming like what? Whatever it is you worship, whatever it is that you're beholding. If my heart is beholding God and it's, it can be tough and rough at times, then guess what? I'm becoming who he is. So. Anyway, these are just some of the things. And beholding God is a journey. Understand that. Please remember that. It is a journey. You have not arrived, nor will you arrive, until you are buried six feet under and you stand before Jesus, right? So nobody in this room is perfect. Got it. All right. But what can beholding do? Let's look at that. It's a journey. Again, now many of you think that I'm going straight to prayer, and I will be at some point. But I want to give you some other things along with, it, with this. King David said in Scripture, he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, experience, see, perception. My experience changes my perception. Don't be asleep on me this morning. I get it. I may be talking fast, forgive me. My experience changes my perception. A man with an experience, is the quote, is never at the mercy with a man with an argument. If I have experienced it, hello, child on a Wednesday night service in LTK that, that got his hearing back, I don't care what you say, it happened. So if it's happening, what have you got to tell me? So for me, it's not a one-time event though. My encounter in 2010 of February is not a one-time event. I've had them since then. And every time I encounter, it's like the Lord is saying, here's you another breadcrumb to see how good I am. Come on, keep coming keep coming. And as long as I'm willing to keep coming after him, he will continue to pour out his presence into my life. And the more that I'm pursuing him, the more I'm becoming like him. I haven't arrived yet. I have not arrived yet. I'm not who I used to be, thank God, but I haven't arrived yet. I'm going somewhere. I'm on a journey. Look at somebody beside you and do the T.D. Jakes thing. Slap them and say, I'm on a journey. There we go. If they're asleep, you know, or they might tell you they're meditating or praying. Come on, you're in the church, don't lie. So experiencing God's presence, it unlocks my spirit to understand there's more to him than I think I know. Come on now, I'm serious. Think about this for a moment. Do you really believe that God created everything? Now we're in the South, but the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Everybody believes that God created everything for the most part. You can look at creation as Paul said in Romans and just tell all of, all of this testifies that God is, is alive and real. Um, think about this for a moment. Think about, and I, I've said this before, but think about where did God come from? Who created him? Now, oh, that sounds 
<coughs> blasphemous on a Sunday morning. I'm just saying, <coughs> sorry, think about where God came from. When you begin to try to wrap your, inf- your finite brain around an infinite God, it just blows your mind. And that's where we understand, oh, fear the Lord. There's a reverence, there's an awe, there's a respect to him because that there's, I mean, he's, he's infinite. He's always been. He's never not existed. Nobody created him. That blows my mind still. I'll think on that and I'm just getting warped. I'm like, man, that's wild. But here's the thing. From that, what should happen? Because God gives you these moments when he shows you, hey, I'm God. That means I'm holy. I'm unlike anything else or anybody else you've ever encountered. What happens in that is there should be a fascination and a wonder that is created. Fascination and wonder are the fuel for continual transformation. If you haven't encountered him and you don't understand there's someone bigger than you, if God fits in your brain, he's not God because he's gonna go well beyond you. He's gonna, there's a way, he's like, I can't see how God can move in this situation. And all of a sudden God opens a back door and says, oh yeah, by the way, I just walked through the wall. I thought it'd be okay. You know what I'm saying? Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants to. The scripture says, the heaven, even the heavens belong to the Lord. The earth is given to man. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. So those that believe that God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants to. But he does also choose to flow through men and women and use us for his eternal purposes. But there is a thing about, I have to remain fascinated. When was the last time that God blew your mind in such a way that you stepped back and said, oh, God, that's incredible. Or when was the last time you read scripture and began to weep at God's presence, him showing you something and opening your eyes to something? Or maybe it was in a service or maybe you were going down the road and you just begin to encounter his presence in an overwhelming way and he lets you know, hey, if I don't stop this, you could die. I don't know if anybody's ever had something like, I've had an encounter with the Lord. Can I just be a little bit transparent? I was laying on the floor right here uh, during the week and I remember all of, I had been praying, God baptize me in your furious love. Don't ever pray that prayer. Because all of a sudden when it came, it came wave upon wave upon wave. And I was weeping, I was weeping, I was crying. And it just felt like it was, it was his presence. Like we become unraveled and undone in God's presence. I'm just telling you, these physical bodies were not created to dwell in that realm, in that atmosphere. That's why they're earth suits for, heaven, for here, right? So do what you're supposed to do here. But he had, there's so much more to him than I've yet to encounter. And when I look at this and just take it a step further to look and see what really does beholding do, the first thing I think, well, obviously it transforms me. It transforms you. It transforms me. There is a transformation that takes place. And, and, and here's the thing. We're the most, our generation is the most informed generation in all the history of the world. And in another 10 years, they will be as well. But we're the most informed, but the problem lies in the transformation because we can have all the access to knowledge and, and in, all of these things at our fingertips, but yet we're unwilling to commit ourselves to a process called sanctification or a journey that brings me into becoming like who he is. You with me? Some of you are struggling maybe that I said we're becoming like God. It's like, well, we can't be. Well, Jesus said, or through John, as he is, so are we in this world. So that's my desire Christ-like, Christian, right? So it transforms us. And the only way that we can be transformed is brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's why we sung the song. Without the blood on my life, Kirk, I'm in trouble. I, I, I have no forgiveness of sins. I need the blood of Jesus applied to my life. Isn't that interesting in the kingdom? In order to be considered clean, you need to be covered in blood. 
Think about somebody you see going down the road covered in blood, walking on the side of the road. We're going to freak out and call 911. But you need blood applied to your life. If, if, I mean, to come into God's presence, you got to have the blood applied. Not only do you have to have blood, it's Holy Spirit. He's the one that comes along to side, the, to, to side with you and to parac- the paraclete to help you. And God, through this process of beholding him, confronts who we are. He confronts who we are in order to expose who we are. He confronts you. Why? Because he's looking to expose. Expose what? I remove the mask into his presence because he can't change who I pretend to be. He's looking to transform me. So remove the mask, remove the facades, come in before his presence and receive. He wants to transform us into Jesus. And, and the, the great thing about God is in our hangups and in our problems, he closes the gap in the place of where we are according to where he desires us to be. All he needs is a step. All he needs is obedience. All he needs is surrender. And then he begins to close the gap into that. Here's the second thing. You ready? Here's a very important one. Not only you know that he transforms you, I get that, but some people might not know that. The second thing is that awakens my priestly calling. It awakens my priestly calling. Why? What is that? Every person in this room that is a believer, you're a priest. You are. First Peter 2, 9. Check it out. In just a second. There it is. But you are a, rose, uh, a rosen. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special uh, possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Word darkness there is the word for ignorance, that before you came to Christ, there was a veil. You didn't know it. It was dark. But when you came to Christ, Paul said that the veil was lifted so you could see. And so in this process of becoming a priest, we're all called to serve before the Lord. What did a priest do? They offered sacrifices Well, that sounds a lot like Romans 12, doesn't it? A priest offered sacrifices. And as I begin to read through the scripture of Romans 12, and it says this, Paul is saying, listen, I'm pleading with you guys. I'm begging you uh, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a holy, a living and holy sacrifice. Now that's an oxymoron. You can't have a living sacrifice, can you? Or can you? The New Testament is the only place in scripture where we are called to give a sacrifice of worship, but there's no animal. There's no, nothing we bring because in worship, I become it. I become the sacrifice. I have to lay myself down in order to live, right? And he goes, the kind that God will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship. So a lot of times we come in and we're given portions of God to himself. But a lot of times our lack of transformation is because, again, I, I think I've said it earlier, our lack of transformation is in the fact of our lack of beholding because we haven't seen him correctly. The ones that see God correctly are laying everything down because they've seen him for who he truly is. Because revelation, whatever God reveals to me, requires my participation, you, got, you have to participate with what he reveals to you or else there's no sense in asking for more, right? It, it, whatever you know, you'll be required of whenever you stand before him. Think about that for a moment. The gifts, the talents, the callings, the revelation, it's all gonna be expected of you when you stand, give an account for, all right? So as Romans lays this out, I mean, this is pretty, pretty clear cut, but looking at the life of David, we just said one thing. The life of beholding, the journey, the ministry of beholding God's face, if I could put it another way. 
Look at the life of David. David was a type of Christ, okay? He was a type, which means he was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would be. Not in this, he did, that Jesus didn't sin, so don't, don't get off on that. David was a prophet, he was a king, and he was a priest. He gives us an invitation and gives us a look into truly what the Melchizedek priesthood is about. Now, people don't understand that. Go read Melchizedek, and you can read it in Hebrews as well. I don't have time to dive into it. David lives, this is important. David lived in an era where there was a temple. And in that temple, you had an outer court, you had an inner court, and you had a most holy place. Now, just a quick Bible thing. Who in, what was in the most holy place? Anybody? The Ark of the Covenant. This is on Indiana Jones. I'm, I'm young enough to know that as well. I say young, anyway, you know. So that was in there. The priest could only go in one time a year. You with me? One time a year, the priest could go into that Levitical temple. All right? David comes along, and we don't know. He is not born into the Levitical tribe. He's not born into the Levites. You understand the Levites are the priests, right? That's the only ones that, that can do, be priests unto the Lord. David comes along, and through his pursuit on the backside of nowhere with the harp, and with a sling and with a, a bunch of sheep and just presents, that's all it was. He began to tend and take care of. And, and, and that's all that we know about David prior to him doing all the exploits that he did. But he had a heart after God. David's pursuit of God is so hot and so strong that he reaches through the cross and pulls something that we are called to, to be in. We become the sacrifice of worship. And he pulls it into his day. How did you do that, David? Because what, the way he worshiped, you want to know how he did it? What he did is he built a tent. He said, boys, build it big enough so I can get my singers, get my scribes in there to write when I begin to sing. Because I'm fixing to prophesy when I sing. And so as he begins to worship, and the, before the very ark, all that was was a tent and presence. There was no outer court, inner court, most holy place. There was just a tabernacle, right? David's tabernacle. And it was just a tent. Other people in the room and the presence of God. And he just begins to sing under the anointing and under the presence of God, the spirit of the Lord coming upon his life. And he pulls something meant for that side, for our day, into his day in a moment. That's why many say when you read the scripture in, in David's, I could imagine him being on his face right before the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant uh, was in that tent and the cherubim, the scripture says that, the, that there's two cherubim sitting on the top and they're staring down at a mercy seat because we're living in the age of mercy right now. You understand that? We're in the age of grace and mercy. The blood of Jesus has been applied to that mercy seat. And on top of that box with those cherubim, they're looking down. And it's, it, it, the, the scripture talks about under the shadow of your wings, I'll find you know, healing, rest, and peace. And it's, and it's said that as the, the sun would cast a shadow upon the cherubim, that it would fall upon David. And he said, this is where I gotta be. But David had to be before the Ark of the Covenant to be in the very presence of God. What happened when Jesus said it's finished? The scripture says that in that moment, there was, there was a, an earthquake that began to take place and that the temple veil was ripped from top to bottom saying, God has done it, man has not done it. That six foot thick curtain, are you with me this morning? I'm sorry, I don't wanna put you to sleep, but I'm just thinking. And in that moment, the, the veil was ripped and the presence of God dispersed in a moment. We see a coming, the book of Acts and Pentecost where tongues of fire begin to rest upon every person. And the baptism in the Holy Ghost was released with evidence of tongues, signs and wonders and miracles and the early church began to move in power. And that power has not ceased. 
I want to let you know that that power has not ceased. Baptism in the Holy Ghost hasn't stopped for all of us that are believers here in the kingdom. We better get a hold of the presence of God and we better learn how to start walking in power. And there's no other power that you can function in. You can have a head knowledge of scripture and you can pray in tongues till your, till your tongue falls out. But if you don't have an encounter with God himself, there's, what, what's going to fuel you in this next season that we're walking in as the church? The church, so many people think that the church is, oh, this God, come with the world's getting bad. The government's getting bad. The government's always been bad, didn't matter. But it's like, oh, everything's just getting really rough. Well, maybe I think what, and I've been saying this, God is refining the church. The church is being refined right now. <clears throat> what COVID did, and we look back, and I'm not trying to say COVID, God will take what the enemy uses for evil and he'll flip it for good. And what I think is we saw a mass exodus out of the church, regardless of what people want to say or not, God is is still using the church. God is still flowing through the church. God did not marry polygamists. He didn't set up to have a bunch of little small brides. He didn't do that. He's got one bride and he is perfecting her right now. And there is a unity taking place. You may not see it. What you see is chaos. God says, I'm calling that unity. It's coming. It's shaking together. Things are beginning to move. Pieces are beginning to move and function because there's power flowing into the church and it's going to begin to flow out of the church. There is a season of suddenlies beginning to capture the church in these days right now. Can I give you a little short tidbit of what I feel? And I'm going off script a little bit, so whatever. I think what's coming in July for this house is it's a pivotal moment. We are gonna begin to experience a hinging. And some of you, if you're guests today, forgive me, but I just gotta go with what I feel. I feel like when we come into the month of July, it's gonna be a hinge. We're gonna begin to shift from one dimension to the next. There is gonna be a new faith. There's gonna be a new glory. And what people are gonna experience in the house of God, it is a burning bush experience that when people drive by the building, there's a draw. There's a draw, not to a church, but to a people that behold. I pray the next 10 years of, no, I prophesy the next 10 years of this house is one of growing intimacy with the Lord Jesus, him being the centerpiece of not just a church, but of families and individuals that people come into the house and they connect with people that are burning. They connect with people that are on fire and they're in love with Jesus. I pray that and declare that over our house. I pray that over our house. We, beholding the face of the Lord, will begin to create something called holy rhythms. Everybody in this room has got rhythms of life that we're doing. Your rhythm, you've got patterns of things and ways that you do. And Paul said, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't conform to the rhythms of this world. We have rhythms, we have things that we do on a daily basis. And the problem is, is that if I could say this, and it's a, it's a blessing and it could be a curse in America, that we're so blessed. We have everything that we need at our fingertips. Food is, is just like that. We can get a credit card and if we don't have food, we can charge it, right? I don't wanna go there. I'm gonna stop that. I understand what Pastor Eddie says. He's like, there's all these thoughts going on my heart. I do not wanna say that one. Don't steer clear. But whenever, and I've, I've referenced this before, but when I went to the Philippines and I saw starving children, for the first time in my life, I, I've got a sensitive, tender heart, I really do. But when I saw these starving children for the first time in my life, I understood what true hunger was. 
I understood what famine was. I understood what poverty was in that nasty spirit, how it'll attach itself to one generation and go to the next and go to the next until somebody rises up and says, no, it ain't coming to mind. We're breaking something here. We're breaking some curses. But as I begin to watch these children fight me over a juice box, literally, little children take you out and they're fighting to get a juice box. And, and it began to speak to me. And I was like, God, I remember going back to my hotel room. And I, I was laying there and I said, God, please, please don't let me lose the I'm not trying to be morbid. Don't let me lose the picture of what I saw hunger truly is. And God, give me that for the kingdom. Give me that for your presence. I want to be one of those. I don't care. I want to come after you. I believe that's what David says, that there was such a hunger that when he was, he, when he was away from the, from the temple of God, because that's the only place the presence was, that when he was away from the temple, there was an ache in his heart that says, I've got to get back in there. I've got, I don't care. I don't care who stands in front of me. I've got to get back into the house of God. I've got to get back where the presence is. But we're so full. America's so full. Tell me one person in this room that truly has a want. Oh, I need, I need a vehicle. I want a vehicle. There's, there, you, you can find, I'm telling you, that literally you can get your hands on anything in America in some facet. So we're, we're full. Pull up to a drive-thru, order our food. Five minutes later, we're pulling out. In some cases, depends on where you go. I guess I should have put that in the right perspective. But you can get anything you want. The problem is, is in America, and it's wonderful. We're blessed. There's so many options. We just haven't learned how to reduce to one. One thing. Just one. One thing, God. I love what the proverb says. It says, don't let me be so full that I don't need anything and I deny you. I think about that. Where have you in your life reoriented your life to accommodate more of who he is? Because he's not coming into your busyness. He will invade moments of it. But if you truly want to get a hold of God and go deep and have a deep relationship and not just a surface level thing that you feed off of mom and dad, I'm just telling you, where's your time? Do you shut the, well, pastor, you don't understand. I've got 17 kids and we all playing baseball. I get it. Get yourself up early. Reorient your schedule to accommodate presence because you're going to want it in this next season. I keep saying next season. I don't know when that next season is coming. could be July. But you're going to want more. Be intentional with your rhythms. You cannot be passive in your relationship with God and expect deep relationship. It's just like in, in, in receiving blessing. You cannot... Give a little and expect a great return. No, you have to sacrifice. That goes with finances. That goes with time. Sometimes it goes with relationships. I need to shut people out of my life. But I got to be intentional. And here, I'm getting ready to close, AJ, if you would. Outside of the things that we typically know, that are holy rhythms, and a holy rhythm could be your prayer life, could be your scripture reading. Take more in. People say, I want to hear God speak more. Take more scripture in. Read more, intake more. Take more in. He'll speak more. Get a journal. These are all like, these are daily rhythms you ought to have established in your life, or you ought to want to. This helps you to reorient. So prayer, scripture, personalized worship. 
you and God, sometimes you need to shut the blinds and let everybody leave the house and turn some worship music on and just dance till something's broke, not your body. <laughs> but you need to. You, you need to dance as David did, unashamed, undignified. You need to listen and meditate on scripture and hear what he's saying. I need, I, every day I get up, listen, I, this is not because I'm a pastor. I was doing this before I, came, I got, before I became a pastor. I gotta have a fresh word every day. Now, some people, I, don't, I may not get a fresh word every day, but I'm, I'm coming up with that ear to hear. I gotta hear from heaven. I don't know about y'all, I have to because I'm not looking into my future because as Pastor Mike Todd says, here is holy. I don't wanna get caught up in a wild blue yonder or over there, here right now in this moment is holy. What God's doing right here in this moment, in this room, the people under the sound of my voice, Kathleen over your family, here's holy. Bless this place that you're in. Not just physically, yes, bless it here, but also where you're at, literally, figuratively, bless the moment that you're in, here is holy. So I, I, I take my time and, Thank God for this. But here's the next thing. Outside of those things, gathering with your tribe. Now, some of you is going to think, well, here you go. He's going to push, push church attendance. No, because you can sit on a church pew and go to hell. I'm, ju I'm just being honest. You can. I, I, don't, I know that sounds bold, and, and it does, because it, it all comes back to your relationship. Where are you with Jesus, man? Just like the Jesus man, where are you with Jesus? I don't wanna be one that I heard sermons that could send me to heaven 20 million times over, but I've never had an encounter with him. I don't wanna look the part, Saul. David said, I don't wanna look right before people. I wanna be right with God. It's what I desire. Fear of man break. Gather with your tribe. You ready? I'm gonna take you somewhere, and here's why. God made you a part of a corporate people and he designed this thing to be under government, which is the fivefold ministry. Now people are gonna struggle with that. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. People wanna know how the church functions in government. Fivefold ministry, Jesus gifts. That's not Holy Spirit gifts, that's Jesus. Gifts of Jesus Christ that was given to the church for the edification, building up and the expression of God through the people of the Lord in the earth to expand kingdom. I won't put some of you to sleep. I just want to give you some understanding according to that scripture. Because God made you to be a part of a corporate people. Hear this. This is all part of the process of, be, of beholding God. You behold him individually, but you behold him corporately. And I'm telling you, as long as I'm here, that's my focus. How do we point people to him? There are aspects of God and who God is that you're only going to encounter as you participate right here as you participate in the whole, the corporate body. So as I said a while ago, Jesus is not raising up complete individuals. He, he made you as a member, and what is members? Think about, I use the finger all the time, but think if everybody in this building or you and your family is a finger, what good is that gonna be to anybody? Except when somebody needs to be pointed out, right? <laughs> but he created a body. What is the body? It's all, we, we're everything except this. That's who Jesus is, right here. And we're not the neck that turns the head, by the way. There's joints and members to this body and God needs every person in this room to make it complete. So that's why you need the corporate gathering because there's things that God does in this corporate room that he will not do outside of this building. Well, that doesn't make sense, Pastor AJ. The church at Antioch, the strongest church in the New Testament, 
they were diverse. People from different backgrounds, different colors, different creeds came together under one name, Jesus. And they were, Paul and Barnabas were sent out, dispersed, because they gathered to behold. It's individual, but it's corporate. So that's why your gathering with your tribe is important. Because I may give you a prophetic word, but it's in part. Somebody else in the body may come up and give you a word and it completes it. There's your example. I've had that happen more than once in this house. It's unreal. That's why you need the connection to the house. That's why. Don't miss it. And especially as we kick into a new gear in July, I'm just telling you why July feels so crazy. Holy Spirit, I'll hope you fulfill because that's what I'm feeling. It's going to kick into a new level. And there's going to be more miracles. There's going to be more healings. There's going to be more signs. There's going to be more salvations, more baptisms, more baptisms in the Holy Spirit. There's going to be more freedom and more joy because God has taken his local church, this house. He's taken us to a new place. One last thing, the journey of beholding. I, uh, we'll get ready to baptize in just a moment. Recently, there's all of this, and people have their opinions on aspects of this, and I'm not gonna dive deep into this, but I wanna, I just wanna share something. I, my wife and I, because my, my attitude has changed over, over the past 10 years. Um, recently, there was a mega church that has been a worldwide global movement that has changed so much through worship. Uh, the, the worship, uh, I don't know what you wanna call it, the worship movement over the world that has been so incredible and so powerful. And even some of the messages that this pastor, I won't call their name, you probably can figure it out. And I understand there's been, you know, judgment begins at the house of God and all those things and to deal with things that are hidden and all of that stuff. But there's, it was just, it was heartbreaking when I heard everything that come out. Used to be my first initial thought was, yep, that's exactly what you deserve. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you better be careful picking up that stone. Do you remember where you came from? And so over these years of just coming out of legalism and some of the things that personally for myself, it wasn't legalism, some religious mentality and mindset, I begin to shift because I'm looking at people that when they make a mistake and they fall, the church can't be the ones to stand around and say, I told you so. We can't. We can't. We're a house of healing and a house of restoration, a house of prayer. What's prayer do? Prayer moves things. It heals things. It shakes things up, removes things. But my wife and I, we got in on a Sunday afternoon and we sat down, was about to eat lunch. And uh, I told her, I said, I've been hearing this. A, a, a friend of mine that's in ministry, he, he texted me, text me and another guy said, hey, have y'all seen this documentary? And I was like, I've seen it. I just, something just, I don't know if it, I wasn't Holy Spirit. I don't know. I just didn't want to, didn't want to watch it at the time. And then uh, I thought, yeah, we're going to try to watch this and see what's going on with it. So I turned the documentary on. And as it's playing into the first few seconds, I be, I'm telling you, I didn't have this. I just began to weep. I began to weep because I just seen, I was like, no, I can't. This is what, this is what the news media wants me. This is what that if any of you heard the prophet in Jackson, this is what that, that, uh, that medium, I'll leave it at that. This is what the medium wants me to do, not the media. The medium wants me, want me to consult and, 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 and play into this whole process of bashing through my thoughts because I grieve Holy Spirit by what I think. 
I grieve him by what I say and what I, you don't just people always talk about the quenching aspect of the holy way you stop the flow of the God of God in service well that deals with power but how have you grieved him this week with what you've thought what you've said and what you've done look at both sides of the coin but in that I, I just stopped and I began to weep and I told Chris I said turn it off turn it off and I just began to pray for this pastor in their church God I'm praying for healing because they got to have it they know what they've done is wrong, all this stuff. And I only tell you that to tell you this. As you begin to behold God's face and his presence, you begin to take on his nature and understand that he's placed you on the planet to become an agent of change and to, and to extend the kingdom of God, healing and wholeness and deliverance and revival and power and authority of his kingdom. That's what God put us on the planet to do. And so church, I'm telling you, one last question, and I'll leave this up before we pray. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. Are the things that you're living for worth Christ dying for? Right now, are the things that you're living for? And I'm gonna leave it with that. Once you stand to your feet for just a moment, because we're gonna stand up and celebrate a baptism. So I wanna pray. I wanna pray that there would be power and anointing and authority flowing upon your life for the journey God's called you to. But one thing, pursuing Jesus in the face of God. Father, I pray over this house right now. I pray over the people of this house. I'm grateful for what you're doing. Kingdom of God come right now. Will of God be done. Kingdom come upon their lives. I pray that there is a hunger and there's a thirst for more of who you are. I pray, Jesus, that we would become a house that desires to behold the face of the Lord. I pray that discipleship, it's one of those out of the encounter that no one can stop them from being discipled. I pray that God would open your eyes to see him more clearly. Put your hands over your eyes really quick. I pray, Father, that you would remove scales and anything, blinders, that would keep them from seeing who you are. Jesus, you're beautiful. The greatest, the greatest uh, picture of beauty is that when you were on the cross. That is the most beautiful picture. Help us to see you for what you did, who you are, and what you're doing right now, because you're a conquering king. Open their eyes, and as Paul said, he said, I pray the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding be opened right now to see Jesus more clearly and it's in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen thanks so much for joining us today we pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life also feel free to share this with your friends and family and if you'd like to contact us you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com we hope you have a great week Thank you.